We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, what's up, everyone, and welcome into another BuzzBeat, your favorite Charlotte Hornets podcast. This episode is brought to you by our partners, Bet Online. Visit betonline.ag and enter code BLUEWIRE to receive your 100% welcome bonus. By supporting them, you are supporting this podcast. This is Richie, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to our podcast from Monday, please do so. I had a chance to sit down uh, with Gil McGregor, got him on the line, went down memory lane, relived the game-winning shot from Alonzo Mourning in 1993. So give that a listen. On today's episode, I'll be joined by Spencer and Brian, as always. But more importantly, we've got Nate Duncan, who always provides insight on the NBA and specifically the nuances of the cap. Nate, how's everything going? As well as could be expected, you guys hanging in there? We are. We are uh, doing well, and uh, we think that this is no better time to record a podcast. We've got a lot of time on our hands. Brian, Spencer, how's everything going with you? Yeah, the, the same, I guess, as well as can be expected. Uh, we, we just, you know, Mecklenburg County, the county that Charlotte, North Carolina is in, is now under a stay-at-home order, I guess is what it's called. So that's effective, I think, in about... 36 hours until like April 16th. So that's going to be a change for everybody. But, but yeah, it's uh, everything is fluid with this situation right now, as we've discussed and really happy to have Nate on today to talk some salary cap and kind of future of the Hornets and what things look like uh, with all this change around us. Yeah. Making sure to only microdose myself when it comes to the news these days and uh, thankful for basketball as an occasional distraction. So looking forward to recording today here. Hey, so Nate, before we jump into this, most of our listeners know you because of your your dunked on podcast, but you also have a newer pod with John Hollinger. Uh, tell the listeners what that pod is about, maybe what makes that a little bit different from from your other pod. Well, it's got John Hollinger on it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a good starting that, place. That, I, I mean, for for me, that was kind of all all I really needed. He has been an idol of mine for a long time. If you don't know him, he's been basically the godfather of NBA analytics, and then he took a position for the last seven years working in the Memphis Grizzlies front office. So he has a ton of experiences uh, on both sides of the aisle media and also uh, in the front office. And so we're able to 
pick his brain and he's also it just has is a tremendous repository of basketball knowledge so we uh we opine on the events of the day or we'll we'll do stuff like ranking the coaches and organizations as well but he is really i think not only the most experienced front office person in media today but also the one who's willing to be the most frank because he's not just like trying to angle for another job so it's a fun pod to do with him that's yeah that's awesome i've really enjoyed it and it seems like you've brought him along well in the podcast game i like uh early in the shows when you used to let him kind of end it and wrap it up that that was quite a painful experience for him but you guys have a, <laughs> you guys have a a good chemistry together and i'm sure it's been a great learning experience for you yeah absolutely no i mean he was uh he was one of my biggest inspirations in nba media so it's been a surreal experience to be doing a pod with him finally Spencer's just glad to have there to be a UVA guy that he can he can talk about here. <laughs> That's on, right. That's on right. the pod as well too with Hollinger. Good, good point, Brian. I wasn't going to yeah. bring that up, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, um, hopefully, you guys never do a pod together because basically it would be you'd get the same amount of information out, but it would just take you about you know. 50% longer. You just, you guys <laughs> pod at a really, really slow pace. Yeah. Very efficient pod though. Very efficient. Though, <laughs> no uh, all right. Well, I, I guess we'll jump in here. Um, Nate, we, we wanted to start with looking at the salary cap, what it's going to mean. It, really business in the ABA in general is going to change. Um, you know, if you've been reading things online, you've seen, you know, report speculation that the salary cap could drop anywhere from like 8 million to 15 um, for next season, depending on factors. To me, that seems unlikely because of a lot of different things. Uh, I know you had Larry Kuhn on your podcast uh, earlier in the week, or maybe it was late last week. And, and you talked about really the scenario in which the league could prop up the salary cap to avoid a lot of these like steep financial changes that would have a lot of fallout associated with it. So it, in your opinion, is that the better option than saying, hey, if we lose this season altogether, we're just going to drop the salary cap $15 million because all the revenue lost? So it's really interesting because the salary cap is supposed to be a projection of next year's revenues. And generally, that's uh, the fact that we had lower revenues this year. That doesn't necessarily mean that next year's revenues are, are going to be lower. And so there are mechanisms to, if you have a really low year, to then reduce the salary cap for next year. But there's a provision in the CBA that says, if in that kind of a situation, when there's that much of a decline in revenue, the Players Association and the league shall negotiate what it's going to be. And so it's going to be a matter of negotiation. And I think that both sides aren't going to want to have too much discontinuity. They saw the chaos of 2016. Uh, you guys are still experiencing that with uh, Nikola Batum years later now. <laughs> and uh, and so I think where you we, if you really have the cap yo-yoing around, that could negatively affect things. So my guess is going to be that they'll want to keep the salary cap relatively close to where it is. Maybe it won't bump up that much more. Um, but you want to avoid it going down for next year and then bumping back up again for 21. I mean, that'll just have a bunch of weird consequences. So yeah. those are anticipation is that it'll get negotiated. You know, maybe there'll be a slight reduction. Maybe there won't be as much of an increase. But I don't expect something like, oh, we're going to see a salary cap uh, with it uh, being uh, 108 this year or 109 this year 
I don't think we're going to see a salary cap that's, you know, $90 million or something next year. That just now maybe there'll be a negotiation of how much of that money are the players actually going to get. But I think nominally they'll want it to be the same, the same amount, just like it was after the 2011 lockout where you're only playing three quarters of the season. But the salary cap nominally was the same because you want all those salaries to be the same going forward when you're back to a more normal situation. All right, let's take a break real quick. With currently no NBA or NHL or MLB going on, you might think that there'd be nothing to bet on, but you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. So what do you think the biggest thing is on the table between the owners and the players with all this lost revenue that's coming. Like it's going to be a big financial hit regardless of whether we have playoffs this season or not. What If you could narrow it down to one thing that you think the owners and the players are really going to have to haggle over with all this lost revenue, what do you think that is? Yeah. What it's going to be is who takes the hit because it's a little bit different in terms of the timing than it usually is, right? If you have a lockout, usually that happens at the start of the season. And the way that revenue versus the amount that players are paid is distributed, that's not even, right? Players, the NBA gets a lot of its revenue at the end of the season, right, with the with the playoffs. Players generally are getting all of their, or at least earning all of their salary, if not being paid all of it necessarily, Uh for playing regular season games. Once you've played X number of regular season games, you are owed that amount of money by your team. And so the players in theory have already earned three quarters of their revenue for the season, but the owners haven't made three quarters of their revenue. And so the question now is, how is that disparity going to get split up? Are the owners gonna take more of a haircut? Are they gonna agree on something where they split the reduction in revenue? There are methods to hold back about 10% of the player's revenue with escrow, but we're looking at a more than 10% reduction. So that's going to be the negotiation of how does the who takes the haircut this year and for how much. That's going to be uh, the crux of this. But then that ties into everything else. Everything else that the owners want to do as far as restarting the season and having a playoffs and all that, that's all got to be collectively bargained now. And so... That issue is the main issue, but it's also going to, to tie in with everything else that needs to be negotiated as well. Fascinating. Um, and something certainly everybody's going to gonna have time to follow with no games between now and whenever we see basketball again. So, Nate, considering some of the things we've already talked about, and then I also heard you and Larry Kuhn kind of say, all right, let's just hypothetically say the salary cap next year so it doesn't drop drastically, as we just talked about, is about $110 million. So then right. when you consider Charlotte's – let's just pretend that's the that's the reality here. When you consider Charlotte's 
where they are right now, they were expected to have a little over 20 million in cap space. If that's the case, well, now that's going to drop. They'll still have cap space, not enough to make significant roster improvements in this free agency class, and that's fine because this class wasn't great anyways. But does that actually help Charlotte to operate more now as a dumping ground because it's going to take more teams a $5 million drop on the cap is going to take more teams into the tax that are now going to be looking to drop dollars, which I think Charlotte was already going to try to operate as that kind of cap space team. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does make sense. Uh, and since you mentioned that, that perhaps the salary cap space will be more valuable. Generally when teams are trying to cut money, they're doing it because they want to sign a free agent that they don't have space for. Well, the, as you mentioned, the free agent class, especially at the top, is not particularly inspiring this year. And so, and especially if there's going to be uncertainty going forward as well, you, you may see more teams and players wanting to reach extensions or players just wanting to stay home, whatever it ends up being. Um, you could see more conservatives out there, maybe fewer players wanting to change teams. And so that pressure, though, of a potentially lower luxury tax than teams were anticipating, that could be, or even just getting enough room to use the full mid-level exception under a hard cap situation, that I think it, it could be a reason why Charlotte would have more ability to take on bad contracts. So I think that's a, an interesting hypothesis, and I, and I agree with it. Awesome. Um, is there, you talk about extensions. Uh, I didn't have this question written down, but you got me thinking. So of these young players that are coming up on extension eligible, if not this offseason for Charlotte, I mean, who do you think is the most likely guy that the Hornets should be looking at and saying, we need to figure out a way to get this guy locked down long term? Yeah, that's interesting. So Devontae Graham will be eligible <clears throat> for an extension. Uh, after this year, right. after his second year, and they could pay him. You know, I, I don't have the math right in front of me, but it'll be around four years, $51 million would be a, about what they could offer him. It, it, you guys, uh, of course, were, but just to restate it, he has a, a, another year basically at the minimum next year and then would become a restricted free agent at the end of that. Yeah, that's an interesting one to think about. I mean, Graham kind of tailed off as the year went on. I mean, but to bring him back, even at that, because of the way he's he bombs it from three, I think he's a valuable player. Even if he ends up being more of a third guard in time, he's young enough. You know, that might be something they'd look at, and perhaps he would be interested in that kind of security uh, rather than going all the way to restricted free agency. Um, yeah, that could be something they could think of, but they would have all the way through the next season uh, up to the summer of 2021 to agree on that extension if they wanted to. But that's the, that's the one that, that sticks out to me. There's no one else really uh, that I could think of on the roster who is, they would want to extend yeah. at this point. So that leads me to my next question. Uh, Devontae Graham surprised a lot of people. The Charlotte Hornets have surprised a lot of people through their 65 games. Uh, what are your main takeaways from this team and the season? I think Vegas had the over-under projection at 23.5 wins. And they got to 23 wins, so they were on pace to pass that. So, what are your what are your thoughts on on this team and this season, and kind of how they stacked up with your expectations? Yeah, they did overachieve. I I think. Uh, I mean, much of that I would say is due to Devonte Graham. I'm sure you guys have talked about this a ton, but the on off numbers in terms of the offense with Devonte Graham were staggering, and you know they were actually acceptably below average when he was on the floor. And then for a lot of the year, I, mean, I think this ticked up a little bit lately, but 
for a lot of this year, they were in the low 90s offensively when he was off the floor. And so I thought that that's kind of what I didn't anticipate this season from Graham. And so I thought that that's kind of what their offense is going to look like. I thought they would be easily the worst offense in the league um, with no other team really being particularly close to them. When I ranked all the offenses at the start of the year, I thought they would be in their own tier as the worst offense in the league. And Devontae Graham saved them from that. Um, other Charlotte, than that has though, thing, yeah. Charlotte has a thing. Yeah, sorry, Nate, real quick. They have a thing yeah, yeah. for uh, point guards that are really, really productive on the floor, and then you pull them off, and, and things just melt immediately. I mean, sometimes I think you could throw me in there at point guard. If I came off the floor, things would just go wrong. We lived through that yeah. for a while. Yeah, I think a lot of that had to do with the backup point guard situation, yeah. right? So, like, all those point guards <laughs> coming in, one-year deals, stuff like that. Wasn't very steady. Wasn't very steady there. Well, I mean, yeah. some of the backup names are incredible, too. Ramon Sessions, Michael Carter-Williams. They're basically <laughs> using Rozier as the backup one this year, which is, you know, he's miscast there as well, too. So, it's, yeah, it has been a revolving door of, uh, of errors at that position. So, so other than that, though, I would say, and then the other thing that's uh, has been pretty incredible is they've had a really, really good performance uh, in close games. You know, yeah. that's that's yeah. Uh, that's been huge. So, I mean, they've kind of been, other than Devontae Graham and the performance in close games, they've been relatively about where I expect. I mean, P.J. Washington had a really nice start. I think he's kind of fallen off a little bit to the point where he wasn't even closing a lot of games. Towards the end, they were closing games with the Martin twins uh, instead of him. Uh, you know, Miles Bridges is kind of, you know, I mean, he's hasn't really developed to a way where he looks like a future cornerstone at this point to me. So uh, Dwayne Bacon was uh, had shown some signs at the end of last year. Now he doesn't even play anymore. The, and there's some kind of lower guys at the end. You know, Jalen McDaniels maybe has a, a little bit of a future, but he's uh, so raw at this point. So there's really while it has been a better than expected year, aside from Devontae Graham, who I still think of as, you know, maybe kind of a, you know, the 25th best point guard in the league when you consider his inability to score inside the arc and being a little undersized, it hasn't changed much about this future. I still think that this future is, does not look amazing for them right now because they don't have those blue chippers on the roster that you're like, yeah, this is the core of a playoff team going forward. So they got a lot of work to do here still. Yeah, it's like I don't think Spencer and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's it's hard to figure if anyone on the roster. It, it, I think PJ Washington is the one guy you could maybe look at and say, is he approaching you know non untradeable status? But even that, it, it probably not. Um, and I do think there's another interesting thing with the Hornets, which is like some of these young guys. You think of. Devontae Graham's in year two. Uh, Martin Twins are in year one. But some of these guys are already in their mid-20s. Like, Devontae Graham turned 25 last month. Right. Uh, the Martin Twins are 25 now, too. You know, we're already we're on year three of Malik Monk. We're about, we may be done with year two of Miles Bridges, too. So, it's not like it's completely devoid of the franchises, like, devoid of young talent in the pipeline. But... I don't know. It, it's just, it's not stocked and parts of it are just a little older than you might imagine it to be. Uh, I guess my thing would be looking at this roster. If you could sort of project out, and I know this is, this is tough. This is sort of like tough math, tough science, but what, what of these young guys on the rosters, which one do you think, which of these guys do you think projects as uh, someone who the next three, four, five years, this guy looks like a starter in a playoff game. Someone that you could trust starting or playing minutes in a playoff game. If hypothetically Charlotte could ever uh, get back to the postseason again. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I would say that 
on this team right now, I don't know that there's anyone I look at with greater than a 50% chance of being like a high level playoff mm-hmm. starter. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, Miles Bridges, he gets it defensively. He starts to just, I mean, those three, those three and D guys, the reason they're so tough to evaluate is, Hey, maybe you get a fire under your butt defensively and you start playing better, or you just happen to start shooting threes better. You know, th- that's really, really hard to predict those type of things. That's why those, and then it can also fall off at any time kind of for the, for those guys also. So Bridges, Washington, you know, I think Washington has to get a lot better defensively. Uh, you know, I thought he, he had some struggles there this year and, and um, you know, we'll see whether his shooting is running. Mean, he, he was a growing up, he was a, a natural center. And so he, he's got a, a lot of growth to do, but you know, certainly he's someone who might be able to get there. Uh, no one in the center rotation really s- sticks out to me right now. A lot of the other guys are too raw. Graham probably be fine as a backup, but he's probably too small to be uh, and can't score inside the arc. And Rozier, I think, would be totally fine as like a third guard on a playoff team. And mm-hmm. he played that role to uh, at times in Boston. And I think his ability to shoot and defend bigger players that, that has some versatility. But if you're asking him to be your primary initiator at any time in a playoff game, he's probably overmatched there. So, um, yeah, and Monk had some, you know, maybe he could be a scorer off the bench, but we're talking about maybes here. And the odds yeah. are one or two of those guys will, will develop to this level that we're talking about, but I don't see see that sure thing right now. And then obviously you've got to talk about getting the star too, which is, which is uh, it, even harder than developing these guys into kind of star level of players. Right, right. I think P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges, out of the youngsters that were mentioned, probably have the most promise and might be a part of the future long term. I think most people think that, but the one conversation that everyone has about Miles Bridges and PJ Washington is they probably are best suited to both play the four and there's some overlap there. I don't I don't necessarily think it's that big of a deal, but moving forward it can, and especially considering if they land Obi Toppin. Let's say Obi Toppin is their top best player available when they're drafting and he happens to be there. You know, what are your thoughts on that in terms of drafting BPA versus molding a team around positions of need? Yeah, I think they are in 100% best playable player available mode, or at least yep. should be because I don't see the player on this roster right now that isn't worth drafting over the top of, right? I mean, th- there's nobody here where you're like, Hey, if we see a guy that we think could be a high level star, or even someone whoever we like the best, you just you have to treat it in these situations like, hey, we just don't know. We don't know whether these guys are going to work out. Someone could get injured. Someone could, uh, you know, ha- have a uh, start shooting it a lot better, or maybe they won't. Yeah. You know, so there's you have to kind of treat it as though there's uncertainty, and there are no sacred cows on this roster right now. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I think you really, if it is Obi Toppin, if that's who they really believe is is the best player, the player that they think has a chance of, of being a star then go ahead and draft him. I, I do think the one thing they need to avoid, though, is, you know, kind of drafting low upside players. I mean, I think they just need to be taking as many bites at the apple as they can to try and get a star. And so, you know, P.J. Washington, I think that draft pick looks fine, especially in a bad draft. But I was critical of it because I felt like he isn't a, a player who you could, under any circumstances, envision super side, uh, superstar upside for. So I yeah, think that that's and, and they kind of have those guys. So at this point, 
Yeah, we've had that discussion <laughs> so many times about draft strategy. Yeah. And, you know, it just is bitten the hornets in the past. I mean, Michael mm-hmm. K. Gilchrist, Noah Vonla, Bismack Biombo, like these were all kind of players that fit this pie in the sky idea of the upside. And they in the Hornets, Charlotte has always seemed to fall short in that category. So I, yeah. I do sometimes that, that understand the whole I, feet, you know. I mean, I, I would disagree with that, at least in terms of my own personal assessment of those players at the time. I wouldn't have said that they had a lot of upside. Um, I mean, they were raw, right. <laughs> but I don't know if they had a lot of upside. Um, you know, I, I mean, especially if you're talking about just having a real, you know, offensive engine, you, you wouldn't have looked at either of those guys as, I mean, Biombo, he was athletic. But I yeah. think if you just looked at his skill level, he wasn't going to develop into some like great post up player or something. You know, he yeah. was going to be, you know, rim protector, you know, but maybe mm-hmm. that uh, pick and roll finisher, that type of player if he worked out. Well, and therein lies the, the franchise's real issue, right? The, the leadership, the decision makers. I <laughs> mean, that's, that's been something that has been the crux of Charlotte for a while now. All right. So staying on the draft real quick, Nate. So, so what is the best option for the NBA in this draft? It seems like they can kind of have this thing whenever they want now because it doesn't look like teams, number one, are going to have any opportunity. Well, they're not. The scouting is done uh, in, in terms of in-person scouting. And so they're going to have to, I guess, jump on Skype and and Zoom or whatever and, and interview these guys that way. So, like, when is the NBA going to have their draft and what's what are, what are their options? I mean, it really has to happen after the season is concluded. Um, because if you think about it, the draft is when so many trades happen. And and also teams kind of need to have an idea of how did our season end, who might we be bringing back. You also will agree to a lot of trades during the draft that can't be executed until the new league year. And so I, to me, it practically has to be after the NBA Finals, whenever that ends up being. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't tell all those teams that they're not allowed to to make trades and be involved. So we do we do have a, a listener question from Powell. He says, obviously, the short term goal is to get better and build this team to be competitive. However, in your opinion, Nate, what is a realistic medium to long term goal for the Hornets? And maybe what teams or franchises should Charlotte look to as an example of kind of realizing this goal? Yeah, that's that's really tough, right? I mean, there obviously are a number of ways that you can rebuild, and a lot of that depends on what your goal is. I think the nice thing about Charlotte is they're almost like tabula rasa right now. They they really because they don't, as we were saying, they don't have any sacred cows necessarily. So sometimes when you're in a rebuild, it makes more sense with the players you have to say, hey, you know what? We're gonna just shoot for being a perennial playoff team in this iteration of this group, and. You know, that's kind of what Charlotte did last time. It didn't. They, they didn't have the upside that they thought they had to be a perennial playoff team. But I think nobody thought, even you know, when they're re-signing all those guys in 2016, that they're necessarily going to be at a championship level. We thought, hey, you know, we, if we're going to be a playoff team for the next five years and maybe you know we'll win a few series now and then, you know, that's not the end of the world. That's better than a lot of NBA teams are are right. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the goal there. Um, and you know, that's because you had a, a, a guy like Kemba Walker who was a solid player, lower level all-star player. You had some other guys that you thought were pretty good to build a, a, around him with. And so that was your destiny. was kind of like, okay, this is what is a realistic goal with this group. Now, though, you can say, hey, what what is our tolerance for being bad, right? And I, I mean, my advice would be, you know, try to 
process Sixers style as much as you can with it. That's a little harder to do now, though, because uh, you don't get as many shots at the top of the lottery. But to me, I don't think that making signings to get better in the next year or two really makes a lot of sense, you know, unless it's like, okay, we're going to just, we want to put a product out on the floor that's not just a complete joke and we want to let our players develop. But it really, to me, needs to be all about development and getting more players with talent into the pipeline and not worrying about short-term wins because what ends up happening there is you worry about short-term wins, you don't even get into the playoffs, and then you have to eventually rebuild again. So it, it seems to me like they need to be just have some uh, some appetite for some pain here a little bit because I don't think anyone cares whether they win 25 or 32 games uh, every year. I think, and I think even, I don't know, what do, what do you guys think? Would you rather watch a 32-win team or a 25-win team that maybe was worse but had more players on it who might eventually be good? I'd rather see the the 25 win team just because I can't completely strip the context of it's going to probably turn into a better draft pick, right? Like that has to shape all of that has to, that has to shape your perception on that. And I think the hope should be that Charlotte is willing to take their medicine for an, another year. And as the, the front office has said, like they're trying to act as a, a, a dumping ground. Like it seems to be that that's what they're working towards. I don't really see a ladder towards uh, too much uh, above that. It certainly is even like a quasi bottom of the East playoff team. Um, this draft's not great, but the 2021 draft is well thought of. They still have all of their picks. Um, so, you know, this season, try to, try to try to hit on a pick you know if you want to extend Graham or whatever in the offseason and then get ready to as you said just just I mean trust the process down in Charlotte again and, and try to go get yourself a, a top three pick if you can in 2021 and then all of a sudden if you drafted a couple of role players in the in the previous years then you get a star like Cade Cunningham or Scotty Barnes or whatever well then now you might actually be onto something with some upside in Charlotte but the hope should be that they that the view is longer than just oh we're gonna bottom out for one or two seasons here yeah, yeah I, mean, I think you, you just got to see whether it's going to last that long, right? Like th- that's you, you got to see whether, you know, if the idea is, well, okay, yeah, we just had two bad years. So now we're going to sign some mediocre free agents and yeah. make, make it like we're making progress. But that's that's all just PR, basically. Yeah, um, and, and that's a really good point. Something I was going to touch on, you know, my sense is that the fan base albeit as small as it is, really did enjoy the team this year and enjoyed the yeah. youth and enjoyed the feel-good story. So I, one of the things I think is really interesting is why the Hornets try to stay bad and, and continue to put themselves in good position with the draft is how they prioritize this youth pipeline. Because at some extent, to some extent, they will have to prioritize it. They will have to extend some of these guys, whether it's mm-hmm. the, the prudent choice to make or not. Uh, and so I, I think that that is something interesting to monitor because if they go into this cycle of we're just going to, you know, almost like they did when, you know, the 7 and 59 season when they tried to, to get the number one pick in the Anthony Davis draft, if they go into that mode after this last season, 65 games we just watched the team play, that's going to be a really hard sell for a fan base. Uh, that's that's already as, as scarce as it is. Uh, that had a little bit of fun with it with a young team with no expectations and no star player. Uh, I, I just that's fascinating to monitor for me, just from a, like a small market perspective. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think all three of us can agree that the best way to approach this is to continue to play these young players on the Hornets roster uh, and try to develop that talent that way and not sign a player in free agency just for the sake of signing a free, you know, a free agent to try to make this team better. I think where most people disagree with this is the fact that they think that the Hornets front office has not drafted well, which they, which they haven't, but I, I will say that this current iteration of the front office has done a little bit of a better job. Well, here. So, so one more thing on that, actually. Um, we, we talked about them trying to use salary cap space to take on bad contract, get, get an asset. If that doesn't materialize, I think another thing you can consider is like there are going to be some quality veterans out there who are free agents who are going to be struggling to get paid. And Charlotte will still, even if the salary cap stays level, they should have about 20 million or so to work with, mm -hmm. depending on what draft pick they get, you know, that could change that by two, three million in either direction. So one thing they could try and do is just sign veterans to quality contracts, you know, a two year deal or something like that and get that guy paid more than he could get going to a good team that would only have the mid-level exception that's about nine million to offer and then trade the, that player yeah, um, right. and try to get something you know we've seen uh phoenix do that with trevor ariza i mean i don't think that was their intent but you could <laughs> you know you could try to take a little bit of a step forward but more the idea of like hey you know you be totally transparent with the player hey we want to get you paid but still, you should still be able to get that player on a value contract in theory because there just aren't that many suitors out there this year. And then that player would have trade value, and maybe that's how you use your space. And you can also have the advantage of not putting a terrible product out there on the floor for the first half of the season or so. Yeah. Um, that, that's just another thought of, of a way in a, in a year when maybe teams won't be trying to drop as much. We'll see where the cap comes in and how, how it affects it, like Spencer was talking about. Yeah, they're going to have to be clever, like in trying to find ways to create other assets on the margin, and and how they could potentially you know create trade chips by signing guys to these these deals that are movable, or by you know acting as a dumping ground or doing some of both. Like they're just going to have to be creative, um, and we'll see if they can actually pull that off, those maneuvers off at least. Yeah, and, and while we're here, Nate, if we just get a few more minutes, I, I'm just curious. I'll throw one name to you, and then if you have a few other names in this free agent class that would kind of fit the model that we're talking about getting paid a little bit more and then trade him later and try to extract something. So Joe Harris is a name. I think that some Hornets fans have thrown out there as a possibility. What do you think about that? Number one. And then number two, are there, are there other guys that make sense in this kind of hypothetical situation we're talking about for Charlotte? Yeah. Joe's an interesting one because Brooklyn is going to have full bird rights on him, but he could really push them up into the luxury tax in future years so he'll be 28 so he's maybe a little bit older than you might hope there but most unrestricted free agents aren't going to be much younger than that yeah i think that's a, a good one that type of player um you know maybe like an evan fournier could be the sort of player that we're talking about mm -hmm. that, that's one that that sticks out to me uh, Harris, I mean, I anticipate he'll probably go back to the Nets. The Magic are an interesting situation, though, where I don't know if their salary structure, and Fournier has a player option, he may just decline it at this point. But um, So that's that's one that comes to mind for me. I don't think the Magic salary structure is really going to accommodate him uh, on a larger deal. Uh, you know, like a, a Jay Crowder type might be someone that, that you could look at. Again, this all depends on what his salary is going to be, right? You don't do this unless you feel like you're getting this player on a value contract um, because 
the idea is to trade them. If you're going to overpay them, that doesn't really make much sense. You might as well just develop young guys at, at that point. So there aren't a ton of those players around necessarily. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that like a Paul Millsap would fall into that category necessarily. Uh, you know, Danilo Gallinari, that's probably, he'll probably have enough suitors where he wouldn't have to worry about that. Um, you know, Mo Harkless, Marcus Morris, Jamichael Green. Um, th- those are the sort of players, like good, solid vets where they can contribute, but, you know, probably have more value on a playoff team than a team like Charlotte. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, Nate, before we wrap, before we go, go ahead and plug anything you got going on right now. Well, since uh, this will speak to Charlotte fans, John Hollinger and I, our latest pod, we did a tournament of the worst teams of the decade. <laughs> and there I haven't listened to that one yet. I've been staying away from it. I guess there, I there was there was in fact a a Charlotte team that uh, that featured somewhat prominently in that. We, we did only we limited it to one team per franchise, though. So there's uh. only one Charlotte team involved. But uh, it, it was a that was a it was a fun trip down memory lane for, for us there. Mm. I know the team you're talking about. We don't. Yeah. Well, they, they've been referenced twice now on this podcast. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in to another BuzzBeat. Stay safe, and we will see you guys next time.